On this episode, we're joined by Benoit Thanjan, who teaches us about the financials of solar energy on your home or business. We dive into how long is the average break-even for your solar energy, who should not get solar on their residential home, and at the end, he goes into some of the biggest mistakes to avoid with solar. As always, if this episode helps you or brings you value, please do me a favor, share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to Build Your Wealth Muscle. So if you're an avid listener, sorry we missed last week. It's been pretty busy, but we are back to having a guest episode. So if you're unfamiliar with our show format, there's two types. The first type is solo, where it's just me, and we go pretty deep into topics like cash flow, tax, finance, and then the other episodes like today, where we bring on a guest and they have expertise in different areas of business, and hopefully they will provide some value to you as well. So today we have my old friend, <laughs> Benoit Danjin. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate being here. and. Uh... Excited to be part of your podcast journey. I can't believe you have 95 episodes. I remember, was it like four or five years ago before COVID, right? You were thinking about it. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing to see episode 95 and keep up the good work. So, well, he's being modest, everyone. So <laughs> let's, talk about, here we go. let's talk about your podcast because sure. it is, mine is, is a little fleet compared to. You are number two, if I'm not mistaken. Number two or the one of the most popular podcasts. I have a podcast on solar energy. Uh, it's called The Solar Maverick, Maverick, like Goose and Maverick and Top Gun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the most popular podcasts in renewable energy. We just named the top green energy podcast by a company called Power Market. Um, I have about 144 episodes. We interview people in the renewable energy sector. And then me and a co-host will talk about different topics that are happening within the industry. And yeah, so that's, I've started the podcast journey November, 2018. You can find us on all the major platforms out there. Awesome. So we, let's give everyone a background. Like who is Benoit? Why are you, uh, the solar maverick. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I have a company called Renew Energy, which I started. I can't believe it's now been 11 years. We develop commercial industrial utility scale solar projects, predominantly in the Northeast. We're based in Jersey City, New Jersey. We also do renewable energy credits, which are involved in uh, incentivizing renewable energy projects in the U.S. We recently opened an office in San Diego because there's a lot of opportunity in California. And then Last year, um, like the Inflation Reduction Act, had a lot of incentives for renewables, which is exciting because um, it, it helps deploy more renewable energy projects. And before I started my company, I was at Tesla slash Solar City. 
um, another like solar contractor, a private equity firm that invested in renewable energy and Deloitte in their energy uh, structured finance practice. So you were you're pretty early on in the, the solar energy space. Yeah. So I like 14 or 15 years ago, I was telling everyone solar is going to be the next big thing. I did a lot of research on it and people thought, you know, I was crazy to say that. And it's just amazing now to see how quickly solar has grown faster than I could imagine. And also, like, um, if you think it from a country perspective, like we're, we're so dependent on fossil fuels from the Middle East, like energy independence and uh, security, if we're able to generate electricity here in the U.S. through like a you know bountiful supply of energy. And I know a lot about EVs because I worked at Tesla. 12, well, now now 13 or 14 years ago. And obviously now we're seeing a proliferation of electric cars. And uh, yeah, so that's how I kind of got into it and really passionate about it. And it's exciting to see that it's going to grow. It's like one of the fastest growing industries right now in the U.S. And the U.S. is the best market right now for renewable energy. What is your opinion on solar versus like fossil fuels? Because yeah. I didn't intended to take this political sure. out of the gate, but you brought up a good point in that. Yeah. So energy dependence, like we were energy de- independent under Trump. Yes. Now we're not. And <laughs> are we rely- are we relying on like what's what's your whole thought process on that? Obviously yeah. you're in the solar space. But- For sure. I mean I have a general en- energy background. I've done sure. work in fossil fuels. Um so honestly like we need all different types of fuel sources. To be able, you can't be dependent on one energy type because something, let's say, could happen. And uh, so, you know, the U.S. actually has a plentiful amount of natural gas through fracking. And we're actually selling a lot of that to Europe. And that's considered like a transition fuel before you yeah, you, you go into renewables. Yeah. Um, all, all energy projects are incentivized by government incentives. Yeah. People think it's just renewables, but all like fossil fuel as well i know some people mentioned about coal but coal is actually a lot more expensive than solar now you have to look at solar as like a technology where it's like the technology is actually advancing meaning that the cost of electricity is getting lower whereas what we're seeing with coal is it continues to increase we're also seeing obviously natural gas prices um were really high and now get getting lower so um you know, I believe that we should be obviously diversified, try to move to, you know, more renewable resources. Uh, the sun is pretty plentiful. Uh, obviously, people have talked about nuclear as well. And there's probably other technologies that we don't know about. So, I mean, you have to be like diversified in your different fuel sources. You know, obviously, like um, the other component, too, is it's distributed. So usually like the traditional like coal or natural gas plant you're like very far away from the city. Then there's like transmission and distribution lines. But if we're able to also put distributed energy where someone could put it on their home, one day energy storage and batteries will be efficient. So when their power outages, then it'll be easier because people will hopefully have localized or local energy. So yeah, I mean, um, and it takes years, by the way, to develop these projects. So sure. uh, like we developed uh, commercial industrial utility scale we're, I mean, for New York State, it's been taking us like four to five years to develop these large solar fields. So it takes a lot of time 
to do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't honestly think them. Uh, how can I say in a non-political way? But what we're seeing is actually political. <laughs> <laughs> what we're seeing is actually a lot of Republican. Uh, a lot, a lot of jobs are being created in Republican states for renewables, and like now they're bringing manufacturing of panels, and so like states. And then there also uh, there's incentives to build near like coal mines where people have lost a lot of jobs, and then retooling them in the solar field as a uh, as a contractor. And there's so much demand for that with the growth. And then we also are limited on the trades. So like there's like now the average electrician's age is like 48, and we need a lot more like electricians to be able to get all this new. Um, you know, power plants online, you know, for renewable energy. So. From, from a policy perspective, because you're involved, like for people who don't know, um, you speak on this internationally. Yes. Like, um, so from a policy perspective, why are you seeing some of the, the labor productivity increase in the red states versus the blue states? Um, I think it's because... Um, there is specific government incentives that were actually negotiated by Republicans for to have ways of incentizing in those states that have lost a lot of jobs due to manufacturing that was, you know, predominantly, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and then basically trying to retool or reskill the labor into like a uh, solar, you know, installer or electrician. Okay. So I so it's really, you know, based on incentives and um and people seeing that there's an opportunity to take to take advantage of it yeah and then states like promoting it depending on who it is or pri- really it's more private enterprise and i believe like you know the private sector is more efficient to come up with unique ways of doing that and yeah so yeah that's kind of why i don't know if that answers your you know your... that makes sense um let, let's start to to dive into the the finances of, yes. of solar. That's your specialty. <laughs> it is my specialty for sure. So tell us, like, you do the financial. This is, well, so for people that don't know, I've known you since, what, 20, uh, 2009, 2010, yeah, 10, something yeah. like that. Ocean so, City, Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a secret. Secrets. Secrets. Yeah. Our, my first trip to Ocean City, Maryland, that's where I met Pat. And uh, Secrets is a bar, not an inside joke yeah, from it, the West Coast. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, a bar in Ocean City, Maryland. It's like a beach bar. So Yeah. But a, you're right. I, I was, you know, I'm an expert in, in financing solar projects. My background's in finance. I got my MBA and undergraduate in finance. Uh, it's interesting because now, like, Renew Energy, we don't just, we don't finance projects. We now develop projects. Uh, obviously, financing is a contingency for it, but you know we do land acquisition, we do like interconnection permitting, engineering, and then like basically take the project to to ready to build, and then we'll partner with a contractor or sell it. Uh, um, so it's interesting because there's a lot of incentives actually in solar, and so and basically how the federal government incentizes renewable energy is different from fossil fuels. There's a master limited partnership structure that they use uh for fossil fuels and then for solar it's like an investment tax credit and basically how it is right now is it's a 30 percent credit on the cost of the system so if you have like a tax liability you basically could take advantage of it but the the it's very complicated to structure so only very big um banks and corporations have been taking advantage of this tax liability 
and not being the tax credit. The tax credit. Yeah. So you basically have to structure it. It's called like a tax equity partner. Then you put like sponsor equity and debt. There's these different structures, uh, which I probably won't go into because it'll probably be very, um, very convoluted. But there's then with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's actually transferability, which is made to make it for the average person to potentially take advantage of not paying federal taxes by investing or in renewable energy projects. But so this is all relatively new, but it's challenging, but it has to be passive versus active income. And so, so that's the major incentive and also depreciation. Sure. So you have bonus depreciation on all the equipment that you're on the, on the equipment. So like basically from that, that, the 30% investment tax credit and the bonus depreciation, that's almost 50% of the cost of the system for a renewable energy project that's paid for by incentives by the federal government. And then that does include like sometimes different states have different incentives or no incentive, depending on the state. So uh, that's what's really led to a lot of development of renewable energy. But then also the cost has gone down exponentially and the production of these systems have increased as well exponentially. So. so- so let's dive in. Let's start on the business side and move to residential. Yes. If that works. So sure. If someone listening is, they own their building. Yes. Maybe they're not a conglomeration, like you're saying, like that, like multinational company. But if they own their building, whether it's construction or they just own a residential complex to be used for their office, what should they be thinking about in terms of the investment, the tax credits, the ROI, like? What's their process if they're sitting there listening? Like, yeah, I, I should do something. Like, I own my building. I'm in a sunny state. Like, yeah, definitely. For me. Like, what would they? What should they be thinking about? Oh, so they should be thinking about obviously, definitely looking at solar on potentially their roof or open land within the property. If you're looking at it, the roof, it should be like a relatively new roof or um, basically been upgraded or some sort of retrofit uh, because the solar system how, lasts how long ago. So five years or less is the suggestion on a relatively new roof. And then if there's some sort of upgrade, hopefully that happened within that time period as well. Because you don't want to, once you put the panels down, they last for like 30 years. So you don't want to be moving and restoring a roof and then taking the solar (laughs) off. So it's better in the beginning, which sometimes, unfortunately, most solar, some solar installers won't tell you. And, you know, because they're trying to, unfortunately, like it's a very new industry. It's like the wild, wild west. But um, so, you know, that's a huge part of it, obviously, like creating like a sort of a financial model about whether you should own the project, whether the economics will make sense. You could get like your bank financing with an existing banking relationships that you have. And potentially you would, as I mentioned, just on the federal incentives, you could save 50 percent on the cost of the system. So usually like the payback's pretty high if you own the system. There's also a, a financing mechanism that's very popular in solar called the power purchase agreement or you know PPA where a third party will come and basically own the system and then they'll give you discounted electricity like 10 to 20% to own it for 20 years or 25 years. So those are the two ways obviously, you know, I recommend you call a local installer in your area and they could provide you like a free estimate and proposal. And usually they have like, they create like financial metrics to show you like the payback and all these other things. So, and the utility bills are important as well because that tells you like how much you're paying. So let's, let's, production break, let's as break down well. a case study for yeah. someone listening. So, cause you brought up a really good point that I wanted to get into. Yeah. It's the wild west. So you can talk to Benoit who's going to thoroughly understand how to, 
break down the financials and you can sure. talk to someone who is going to rip you off. And what should someone be thinking of? Like if they got a million dollar building, let's yeah. say we're here in Vegas. So let's, let's say Nevada, Vegas, what should they be thinking of with ballpark pricing? Like they own their building. It's a million dollar building, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, break it down for someone in terms of what they should be expecting so that if someone comes through and says X, you'd like, that's a red flag. Yeah. Run away from that guy. Yeah, so I think it's a little challenging because each state is so different and then the labor rates are different for each state. And if it's unionized versus non-unionized and also with uh, loss with Nevada, there's I don't know as far as with the utility, I don't think they I think the whole point is to basically build a solar system where you don't have to export it into the grid because they won't give you that high of, of amount of money or or nothing at all. Um, you know, I'm not familiar with commercial industrial in Nevada. It's more of like utility scale projects. Pick a, pick a state you prefer to to give like more. Uh, I could, yeah, I could pick like New, like New Jersey. Obviously, is the yeah. state where we're originally from, and we've done a lot of work in New Jersey. And just to give you an example, like uh, like a commercial building owner in New Jersey is paying like 13 cents per kilowatt hour for their electricity. Um, if they say went solar, there's obviously those uh, federal incentives, but there's also New Jersey state incentives and the payback is within two and a half to three years. Wow. And then you basically have free, whatever your solar energy is produced, you're getting free energy for 25 years. Uh, there's, there is like ongoing costs, like there's O&M related expenses, but usually that's pretty marginal. Um, so if you own the system, it's like a pretty high rate of return if you're self-financing it. And then usually I was talking about those power purchase agreements. Yeah. Realistically, it's like a 10 to 20% discount on your electricity. Okay. And then the person owns that solar system that's on your roof or, or on land site. But the challenge too is it's based on credit because you're giving like a 20-year to 30-year power purchase agreement. So the company has to have like you know, long history of financial, um, you know, uh, basically like good financials and credit to be able to get those types of opportunities. When people like small business owners, mm -hmm. what are the big mistakes you see them making when they're like, all right, I'm going to dive into solar. Like, I know you mentioned they didn't get a, a new roof before they started. What's, what are some of the other big mistakes they make that end up costing them? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, the big thing is to find the right partner, the right solar installer. So, you know, obviously use like Google reviews or Yelp to kind of help. And also, obviously, if you know someone who knows solar or could introduce you to a person who could develop the project, because there's a lot of companies out there and it's really about finding the most reputable. So, you know, maybe even use like the Better Business Bureau. You know, I, we talked about the whole roofing issue, yeah. like make sure you talk to a roofer as well. And let's see what their opinion is, is whether you need to do roof work for your solar. I think also, you know, the solar industry pushes the power purchase agreement because they say to you, hey, no money down. You get to discount your electricity. Right. But the challenge is if you ever have to sell the building one day, the actual buyer has to basically take on that power purchase agreement to be able to sell the building. It's different when it's actually owned by the building because it's technically an asset. But here you have like an, a long-term arrangement. 
So sometimes what's happened is people get like really low electric solar rates and these are like going for 20 to 25 years, but sometimes um, there's an escalator to it and people have agreed to very high escalators, yeah. meaning three to 5%. And sometimes the solar system now after eight years is costing more than the current rate of electricity because the inflation rate for the power purchase agreement was it compounds over each year. And so that's like also a challenging thing because then if you're trying to sell it, then the person's like, well, I don't want to be in this like thing where I'm paying more for my solar than, than they could if they just, you know, bought it directly from the utility. Interesting. So if you have the, the solar system where you sell back to the grid, yeah, but is that the, the power purchase agreement or is that the other way around? That's so, um, it's basically all the electricity that's produced on site from the solar system. And then it's basically used for the building. So none of it is actually distributed on the what, grid. What's it called? If, I, if I'm buying something where like, I'm going to use everything I need yeah. and then I get to turn a profit on the surplus. What's that called? So that's called like net metering where you're basically okay. selling the electricity back to the grid. You could do it under a power purchase agreement, which is called like an offsite PPA, which large corporations do. But the challenge is like, for example, like, you know, we're talking about New Jersey, the regular commercial customer is paying 11 to 13 cents per kilowatt hour to the utility. Now, if they sell that solar energy back to the utility, the utility is going to pay two cents <laughs> for it. So it doesn't make sense to actually export it unless it's a higher amount. You could just save it for yourself for you could, like, high usage month, maybe. So, you, yeah, usually what people try to do is size the system where it rarely overproduces. But then once you have energy storage and energy storage becomes economical, then you could store it and then, you know, use it at other times when you, maybe it's not sunny out or maybe it's cloudy or maybe it's at night right. because then you could use it at night. But even then too, you could sell it back into the grid because at night people are willing to pay more for energy. If it's like the peak time when people like seven to 10, it depends um, on the state. So, uh, there's a lot of different variables that are that are involved in this, and each state is different. Each utility has different rules. So, what type of loan would someone be getting? Like, would they, if you're a bit, we're still in the business yeah, owner, would this sure. be an SBA loan? Is there certain types of like, who should they be thinking in terms of financing? So, I would say like you first should go through um, like your existing banking relationship okay. and potentially like at. Now at this point. Oh, it's pretty mainstream. Like most commercial, most banks have lent to solar and then like usually it's some sort of facility or, uh, you know, pro project yeah. debt or something. Do you need to put a personal guarantee down or they'll just collateralize it with the, the building itself? It depends. Yeah. So more now, like I've seen some structures where they collateralized it in the building, uh, but it really depends on the bank and what they're comfortable and then it also depends on the relationship that the business owner has with that bank as well to see if they're, you know, going to do that. And they'll do, yeah, like project debt. It really, you know, the first thing is to go to your bank. But there are out there are companies outside of, you know, your existing banking relationship that will lend to a solar project. What um what types of rates would you be looking at? I know it's, yeah. it's going to fluctuate from when people listen to this, but... Like percentage-wise, over what a conventional mortgage would be versus a commercial mortgage—is it similar to a commercial mortgage? Is it 
plus three percent on top of it, what would it? It's similar to a commercial mortgage, but it depends on the duration okay. of the loan because some people like just to do it for ten years or fifteen years or twenty years, and then now, like I feel like banks have gotten more comfortable with solar as an asset class. Obviously, yeah. they're very comfortable with commercial buildings. So maybe there's a little bit of a premium, but it really depends like on the bank. And usually most people are willing to pay their energy bill first yeah. because they're scared of losing power. Right. So they'll usually pay like their their solar energy and then the whatever energy that they're paying from the utility. So uh, Interesting. That's cool because if I'm not mistaken, when you and I were talking about this in more depth in like 2017 or so, wasn't one of the things that your company did was the financial modeling to get banks comfortable to lend because this was like so out of their comfort zone at that point. Yeah. So it's amazing. Like within, as you said, 2017, like part of me was helping uh, business owners getting like a debt from the banks. And part of what the banks required was a financial model uh, and they to get comfortable to get comfortable with it. But now I feel like a lot of banks have gotten very comfortable in a very short period of time, and it's not the same process as, as it is before. Sure. So, And there's a lot of lending that these banks are doing. So, yeah, it's definitely, like, interesting to see how things have changed. Like, very, that's only, like, five years. But for the solar industry, that's, like, a long time ago yeah. because things are changing and adapting and growing really quickly. So let's transition to the residential yes. uh, homeowner. So before we dive into like all the people who are doing it, sure. who, who should not do it? Like, it, I don't know if that's a broad question yeah. or not, but like, who should not be buying solar for their house? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't buy solar if uh, there's some sort of shading issue where like trees are basically blocking the roof or the land where you're going to put the the solar. Uh, we talked about like the roof has to be relatively new. Usually, like homeowners are hesitant to put a new roof just for solar because then that increases like the payback period. Whereas they could just keep that sort of roof for another 10 to 15 years. So uh, that's like a major point of hesitation. Um, Who shouldn't, I mean, if you're able to get it, I think it makes sense. I think one of the issues is some of the homeowners don't like the look of solar panels on, on their, on their roof. So they won't get it. You know, we're getting better at like, BIPA, which is like building materials and solar, but it's still like very early in the production of this is not as good as like your regular sort of solar panels. Um, if Obviously, if you have an EV, like it makes sense to really have solar because then you could charge it at home when you come back from work or if you're working from home and essentially you have a battery right there. But those that's probably the major reasons. Um yeah. Uh, also, like, just um, sometimes, like, maybe financing might not be the great option, like doing a power purchase agreement because it's an expensive form of financing. And as I said, if you try to sell the property over time, it could be an issue. And then finding, obviously, a reputable company to do it, you know, so you need to spend a lot of time. How does the financing typically work for a residential? Is it a mortgage? Or are you coming out of pocket, like, home equity loan type? So it's uh, like they do a credit check and, you know, obviously if you have like a 650 or 700 credit score above, you'll usually get approved by whoever their lender is. Um, 
you know, there's different lengths of the bank loans. So it's hard for me to kind of, if there's seven year, 10 year, 20 year loans that potentially like these residential installers will bring to you. Obviously the rates are higher than like the mortgage rate or depending on how long your mortgage is, whether it's 10, 15, 20 to 30 years. Um, so yeah, I mean, you obviously have to have good credit. So that's a challenge because not everyone has that type of credit. Yeah. We're trying, you know, solar shouldn't just be for people who are wealthy or have a great credit score. So there's ways that they've been able to, uh, you, where you could buy solar from a solar farm and you don't necessarily need to have good credit to be able to do that. So that's kind of a way that people, have, the government's been incentivizing like low moderate income communities to have access to solar. What are you seeing on the residential side with resale? So I go ahead, I put the solar on. I'm still, let's say it's a seven year, let's say 10 years. Yeah. I'm like one year two. So I have eight years to go, only 20% done. Now I want to sell the house. You open a buyer, oh. are they taking on? Could, yeah, what's, what's standard? Could the buyer be like, I'm yeah. not taking on your, that I'll, I'll buy your house, but I'm not taking on your, so yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like almost like an asset. So actually, this is a little complicated because, as I mentioned, there's an investment tax credit, and then there's depreciation, um, and there's also a tax recapture period. Right. So usually, like if there's a still a tax recapture period, the the buyer does not want to buy the house because it makes it. Because the government provided like these, you know, tax benefits. So usually you wait after so the recapture. Buying, they're buying the the cost less the tax perks. Essentially, if yeah, after the tax advantage. So you're the person who's the seller. You got you get to buy the tax perks and then sell off the asset of the debt. Oh, you can't really like transfer, oh, okay. like do the tax recapture. So That's you, what know, I mean. to you s- get the best of both worlds to be the seller is what you're saying. Potentially, but you need someone to value the solar system properly, gotcha. which I don't think that's complicated, but you know, since solar is relatively a new asset class, your your regular residential homeowner you're adding another layer of complexity and they might say, well, I'll just get another house. Like, I don't know how to, you know, deal because it's technically, if it's owned by the prospective seller, it's technically an asset, but you know, a lot of homeowners don't understand it or know how to value that. And a lot of real estate agents on the residential side don't know that. So it's extremely challenging. I've seen issues come up with it um, and how to handle it. And then also, like, there's also a stream of revenue. Like, like New Jersey has a very, um, it's called a re- renewable energy credit or a REC or SREC for solar. And it has, like, a cash flow stream over 15 years. So usually the prospective seller wants to try to get some sort of discount to those cash flows. So it's challenging to for the buyer to understand this. So, yeah, it creates definitely, like, a lot of uh, complexity. But I hope, like, over time you know, it definitely does make sense and you're going to save money on your electricity and you're getting essentially free electricity right. technically if you own the system. And in New Jersey, like the paybacks within two and a half, three years, but there's other states where it could take a lot longer depending on like electricity price and also like how much sun. Yeah. Does it, yeah. does it take longer 
to break even on your investment in states like Florida, Nevada. I know you don't you say you don't know as much about Nevada, but because there's no state tax, so it's not like you're chipping away. Like versus in your example of New Jersey, they're I think the third or fourth highest state tax in the country. So is it potentially is that part why it's recaptured faster there in terms of the break even? So the. So yeah, the incentives are on a federal level, so okay. there's no state level taxes that are impacted by it. But what makes um, Florida, Nevada great is obviously you have a lot, a lot, of, a lot of sun, right, compared to New Jersey. Yeah. But the cost of electricity is actually a lot cheaper in Florida and Nevada than in New Jersey, like the uh, Northeast so states. Yeah, that's part of the analysis. And then actually, like, there's no real incentives state level that Nevada and Florida have for, for solar, whereas New Jersey has like a, a a renewable energy credit. But that's on the state side. That's on the state side, yeah. So part of the state tax code. So it's like a rev, it's not involved in the tax code, at least in New Jersey. It's okay. more of a, like a revenue generated, like a renewable energy credit that's worth this amount of money. And then you could sell it. Interesting. So it's, but each state, by the way, has a different state program. Some have rebates, some have, you know, some sort of like property tax abatement. Got so it. it gets, it's pretty complicated, like within so states. The, uh, so the perks in New Jersey aren't based on the income taxes, but there are state incentives. Yes, that's right. Got it. Um, so you mentioned that, mentioned the break even. So what are some of the things, and we're still in the residential side, what are some of the things people should be asking these solar reps that, that come and try to help them? put this on their house, like to make sure they're working with someone who knows their stuff versus sure. a scammer. Like what are some of the questions they should, they should come ready to ask yeah, or I think, have answered? The, yeah. It's really about like what their experience has been, how much have they built over time in residential in that area? Uh, you know, what they, as far as like the better business bureau and like how, what their standings are. Um, also, like getting multiple talking to like three or four different providers, okay. because then you'll get like learn a lot from all these different conversations. Then really try to understand like their financial model, because that's what it comes down to is the numbers. And you'll see sometimes I'll look at these proposals and they're all very different. And some people are like estimating things are like that are the best case scenario with their projections and yeah. uh, so also look at like historically what has happened in the past. Um, also talk to there's like solar lobbying groups, state agencies in energy, and they could tell you like they could give referrals or even like, if you know someone who has solar within your area to ask them who they worked with and you'll see you'll, by just doing that, you'll get like a lot of feedback is, on who to work with and who not to. Is there any rule of thumb? Like, it should potentially be X thousands of dollars per hundred thousand of value in your home or anything like that. Is there any sort of metric that someone could mentally ballpark on the residential side? It's extremely difficult because everything's totally labor's totally different. Yeah, Irradiance is different. Uh, the cost that you're paying to the utility, each utility in the same state, the utility rates are different. Um, so it's hard to just provide like a, ballpark that you could use there's 50 states it's a huge country so it's it's hard to kind of ballpark things unfortunately and then if someone getting back to like one of the questions like when someone maybe should or shouldn't do it yeah um you brought up something that 
I wanted to dive a little deeper on. If someone doesn't know if they're uh, trying to have the best sure. way to frame it, if someone is, is living somewhere like, well, I might be in, uh, like, let's say yeah. someone's in New York or New Jersey, like, I'll probably be in Florida the next couple of years. Is there a window where it's like, if you plan to sell your residential home, because you did say it adds complexity to the sale. Yes. Is there maybe something where you're like, well, yeah, you probably pay it off in two years, but if you're planning to sell your house in three, this is what you should be thinking about. Yeah, for sure. So, like, if you're not planning to live there long term, it doesn't make sense to go through the complexity of putting solar on your rooftop. Um, it's just uh, if you're there for a long, because it's going to complicate the sale and you want to streamline the sales process as much as possible for your home, if that's the plan. Because I'm guessing to, if you're a savvy buyer, like if you were the, the next owner of their home and you come in, you see they have solar, I'm guessing one of the first things you're going to do is like get a second opinion on how long that roof's going to last. And if it's not, oh, for sure. if it's not lining up, I'm guessing they're getting a big discount on the sale of their home because someone's going to be like, this doesn't make sense if I have to tear this all down in five years. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's could be a huge issue. Like, you obviously have to have, like, a roofer come when you're uh, – or an inspector or a housing inspector to see, like, how long the roof could last because it potentially could be a huge expense. But most homeowners are not, like, thinking about that when they see the solar, but it's definitely something that they should be aware of and look into. Any other big financial – landmines there other than like the roof not lining up with the life of the, the panels where else would um, someone find themselves in a big solar money pit i mean i think that's really the major one i okay. mean there's always a risk that uh state level or government incentives could change okay um and then the other thing people are like why don't i just wait solar keeps getting cheaper and cheaper but the, at the same time the incentives are going down over time as the technology is getting more advanced in the price. Right. So some people are like, why don't I just wait another five years or 10 years? But we don't know like how long these incentives are going to be here. Um, with the Inflation Reduction Act, there is some certainty that, you know, um, of the investment tax credit. But still, you never know. You know, maybe um, there's a new president that comes along in administration, maybe they say, That'd be great. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> the views of Pat Darby are not necessarily. <laughs> but so that that would completely change. And that's a risk, right? That you're going to take maybe at the time you finally do it, they repeal it. So then, yeah. so yeah, there's definitely that federal and state like level risk. Like if there's a change in, in both state level administrations and, and federal. So that's another thing because it takes some time before you, before people make a decision, it's not like, yeah, I'm going solar tomorrow. Like yeah. they usually spend six to nine months to a year evaluating. before evaluating before Is there a decision. Anything about solar business or residential that people should know that I didn't know to even ask or that people rarely know to ask? Know to ask. I mean, you're here, people don't know. He's, Benoit's here in Vegas for one of the biggest solar conferences <laughs> yes. in the world, right? Or, yeah, so it's in the world. It's the biggest renewable energy conference. It's called RE. Um, it's in Las Vegas this year. We had 42,000 people. Last year it was in Anaheim and it was 27,000. When I first started going to this conference like 10 to 11 years ago, it was eight to 9,000. So that tells you. Oh, for sure. But it's amazing to see like the growth of renewable energy and how big it's getting. You know, it's, I think one of the big things people should understand, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast. It is now the cheapest form of energy uh, in the U.S. So, um, you know, 
that's like one thing that I think if everyone should know, even without incentives, it's still. That's great. Um, and then the other thing, too, is, as I mentioned, it's a technology. So the panel technology is getting more and more advanced and the installation where they're able to absorb more electricity and change it to usable um, usable electricity from AC to DC. And then the other thing too is like what like Mike I forget it's called Moore's Law with chips. Okay. Where it keeps getting smaller and the processing speed keeps getting faster and faster. The same thing is happening with solar panels. There's actually it's I forget I think it's called uh, I forget there's a formal name of it. Some it's called Swanson's Law. It's similar to Moore's Law for okay. chips and basically says that the wattage of these panels are going to keep increasing exponentially and then decreasing and then you know we have unlimited right now sun so it's obviously you know something that you could take advantage of and it's reusable i think the other thing too is um right now unfortunately like solar you could use it mostly when there's sun outside so really like storage or energy storage is a game changer for all these intermittent power sources like wind is very popular at night. You know, it's more windy. It depends where it is. Yeah. But once energy storage becomes more economical, then everyone is going to have like in their house, like I'll have some, you know, uh, solar panels, maybe some other things and then storage. And then you could use that at night and then you could use it for like your EV. And the key thing is like, you have energy independence where you're not dependent on the grid. And it's crazy to me because there's now, so many blackouts happening all the time, more than it has happened before in the U.S. So this, like, for your own sake or for your own, like, it, it'd be great to be independent from the grid. Yeah. So yeah. we're, and unfortunately, like, the utility has control over you in a certain sense. Sure. You know, based on power and based on usually when the power goes out, like, they focus on the place that are more populated or transportation up. Like, I remember during Hurricane Sandy, I know we we're both. Uh, in New Jersey, you were in Hoboken, Jersey City, but they yeah. focused on like near the Grove Street path yeah. because you need to have people coming in and out. And it was great because I lived near the path. So you were back online. Like fast. two days where other people like who are further away, it took them a week or nine days. Yeah. They're going to prioritize. I was six days with no power. Yeah. And you were in Uptown, right? Or No, I was on. I didn't get any flooding. I oh, was, you didn't get I'm flooding. On, I was on 3rd and Hudson, so I'm a block yeah. from the river. But flooding never had like some puddles, yeah. but no power. But same thing. I went. And stayed with a buddy of mine who he was on the same power grid in uh, Ridgewood yes. as the fire department. So he was right back up like hours <laughs> later because they needed the fire department up. For but sure. everyone else was like out for days. So just good for him. It's Yeah, it's, it's big from a strategic perspective. I mean, I suggest anyone have like a generator. You could do like obviously natural gas. But now like the electric battery generators are becoming sh- like exponentially cheaper over time. So it could be, you know, that could be an opportunity as well. Uh, so, yeah. So what is, so people who want to like reach out to you, like who, yeah. who does your company help? <laughs> uh, I know you said you have a podcast to help people again. Where to find sure. You. So I have, it's uh, one of the most popular podcasts in solar energy. <laughs> it's called the solar Maverick podcast. That's M A V E R I C K. You can find it on all the major podcasting platforms. My company is Renew Energy. We're a solar developer. We don't do residential. Uh, we focus on commercial, industrial, and utility scale, which are these large solar fields. For the utility scale projects, we look at rooftops that are 50,000 square feet or higher, which are relatively big roofs. So I know, like, you know, probably 
you know, that eliminates a lot of opportunities. Um, the podcast is for free and we have great content on it. As I said, 144 episodes. Uh, you could find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just trying to think that's kind of probably the best way. Like if someone's a landowner potentially looking to go solar, we're actually looking at a lot of farms like, and, you know, having solar and farms, like the less arid land to use for solar and the more arid for first crops. And there's also um, like basically solar with crops as well, which is like sort of newer. It's called agrovoltaics, but I won't go into, you know, that much detail about. This is, I was planning to wrap it up after people learn how to find you, but yeah. this, you made me think of something. I'm just curious your take sure. on it because when we first met, also, you were doing a lot of speaking overseas. Yes. This is like pre-COVID when flying, which is normal. <laughs> but what's what's the rest of the world's take on solar? Because we're, in my head, when I'm, and I'm obviously no expert in this at all, yeah. the places where it's there's a ton of sun, there's also a lot of natural oil reserves. So, like, what are places like the Middle East and Africa's take on it? Because I know it's not super financially affordable yeah. yet, but... They've got an abundance of sun and some have an abundance of oil. So For sure. Their take on solar. I mean, you, you, I mean, I haven't actually been in the Middle East in a long time. Uh, so I don't know, like, but there is a lot of solar actually that's coming online there because they do get a lot of sun. They yeah. want to diversify just from oil. And obviously a lot of the oil they're, they're selling to other countries like China, Russia, the U.S. And, you know, they purposely obviously try to maximize the <laughs> price of oil by you know, impacting uh, supply, which we've seen, uh, you know, the Middle East do a lot. Africa, it's like very popular solar because in in poorer countries where you don't have the, the infrastructure. Right. That's what I was thinking. You'll see like in huts and stuff, they'll have like a solar panel or two panels, basically enough to to power like their fridge or like a TV or something like that. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of like these remote or offsite sort of solutions. I mean, it's way cheaper for you to do a couple of solar panels for some of these poorer areas than try to connect the whole power grid. Oh yeah. Like it's almost like landlines to cell phones. Yeah. In a sense, like you don't need the infrastructure that we have now. Um, So it's interesting because um, really the government, the U S government and certain States are incentivizing like to put solar and energy storage in places where we need resiliency or the transmission infrastructure is older so that we're able to offset some of that with distributed energy. Uh, So it's interesting because like, you know, I look at uh, transmission and distribution lines, try to figure out like where is an ideal place to put a large solar project. You know, I've been mostly on my international stuff, focus more on Europe, South America and Asia and um, you'll see it's, I actually, you see a lot of solar in, especially the, the sunny, uh, places like islands and obviously where you get sun, sure. uh, even in Europe, you'll see a lot. I think I'm surprised Scandinavia, you'll, you'll see a lot of wind turbines and Germany was one of some of the first countries to really build solar China. I've seen, I've been to China as well, wow. India and seen a lot of solar. But one thing that everyone could agree with is the U S is actually, Right now, it looks like the best solar market in in the U.S., and that's why you had compared to other countries. Why? Because of certainty of the government more than these other countries. Um, financing based on the U.S. dollar. 
not only U.S. dollars, but yes. stability or security, uh, meaning like there's less government risk because there's been times where the government has changed certain things, which you like don't see. It's like we don't like EV or we don't like solar, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. And then it just wipes out the, the investors. The investors. And then the other thing, too, is there's there's so much land, there's so much opportunity in the sense and it's a similar sort of rules yeah where you, each country is going to be obviously every state this is what happens when foreign investors come into the u.s and we've helped a lot of foreign investors and developers like usually it's just one standard for the country but the u.s it's like yes you have 50 states but each state is different and then each utility within that state's different so it creates a lot of like complexity yeah. but there's also a lot of opportunity and we're seeing like a lot of money being invested in renewable energy projects and the industry is growing exponentially. Another interesting point is for this energy transition to for for renewable energy, there's not enough qualified people out there uh, to be able to do it. So it's interesting compared to other um, industries that are laying off people, the solar industry is actually uh, growing exponentially. It's interesting. There are a lot of tech sector layoffs. And a lot of them have now moved into into the renewable energy sector with technology, with AI, trying to incorporate. Wow. So cool. it's interesting. Things are constantly like changing for the better in flux. So Very cool. Well, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to cover. <laughs> um, but everyone check out Solar Maverick. But like, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Pat. This was great. And I'm glad to hear about your success on the podcast and keep up the good work. Oh, it's a lot smaller than yours, but I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.